My name is Mac Duncan. Um, contrary to popular rumor out there, I am not on staff here. I just attend here. Somebody stopped me in the aisle today and said, are you employed here? No. But we go here, and we love it here, and so I just do whatever they let me do, and this is one of the things they let me do, so this is great. And uh, let's pause for just a brief moment of prayer, shall we? Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, as we bow before your word this morning, we say, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Open the eyes of our heart. Open the ears of our understanding. Let us see and let us hear you today. In Jesus' name. So this morning I've got my Bible open to Matthew chapter 11. I'm reading verses 2 to 12 out of the New English Translation, and it reads like this. It says, Now when John heard in prison about the deeds Christ had done, he sent his disciples to ask a question. Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? Jesus answered them, Go tell John what you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the good news proclaimed to them, and blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. While they were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. He says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? (laughs) Look, those who wear soft clothing are found in the palaces of kings. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it was written. Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist, yet one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and forceful people lay hold of it. Look again just at verse 12 here. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and forceful people lay hold of it. Your translation may read slightly different than that. There's different variations of it. And because of the various nuances of the Greek language in this verse, scholars of all ages have struggled to know exactly what Jesus meant by this this statement. And while we could discuss and debate the various ins and outs of the various interpretations, there are some things that we know for certain, all right? And one of those things that we know for certain is that when the kingdom of God showed up, it created quite a stir, right? All of a sudden, everything was shaking and everybody was wondering what in the world was going on. And the second thing that we know is that there were some who did not approve of the way that it came because it didn't come in the way they thought it was going to. And so they didn't like it, right? But the third thing that we know 
for certain is that there were others who recognized that the kingdom had come and they were determined to lay hold of it. So let's take some time to unpack this mysterious statement and see what it has to say to us about laying hold of the kingdom. Now, Jesus starts off by talking about the difference between those days and these days. And actually, it's not difference. It's a continuation of a story that started with John the Baptist. And that's why he says, from the days of John the Baptist until now. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 3 and let's look at what was going on in the days of John the Baptist. We're going to look at verses 1 to 6 and then verses 11 to 12. It says, in those days... John the Baptist came into the wilderness of Judea proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. For he is the one about whom the prophet Isaiah had spoken, the voice of one shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing made from camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his diet consisted of locusts and wild honey. And then people from Jerusalem, as well as all Judea and all the region around Jordan, were going out to him, and he was baptizing them in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. Now down to verse 11. John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one coming after me is more powerful than I am. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hands and he will clean his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the storehouse. But the chaff he will burn up with inextinguishable fire. So here's this guy, John the Baptist, out in the wilderness, not in the center of the city, but out in the wilderness of all places. And he is proclaiming this message that says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. That's a statement of eminence, meaning that what has been foretold for all of these centuries is suddenly beginning to break in upon us. The waiting period is over, and now the kingdom of heaven is here. Now, you notice that he says the kingdom of heaven as opposed to the kingdom of God, and that's because Matthew was written to Jewish Christians or to Jewish people who refrained from using the name of God because they didn't want to take it in vain. So that's why he calls it the kingdom of heaven. But when he refers to the kingdom of heaven, what he is talking about is God exercising his sovereignty in active dominion among men. All the prophets from Isaiah right on down talked about the time when God would suddenly show up and start acting like he actually owned the place. He was going to break in and begin to exercise his dominion among people. And when he did that, everything was going to change. And now John is saying that day is suddenly upon us. And the reason he came with this announcement was to raise a sense of expectation among the Jewish people. You have to remember that at this point, God had been silent for 400 years. Can you imagine? Silence. Silence. No prophets, no dreams, no visions. 400 years. 
All of a sudden, this voice rends the sky and says, It's here. It's here. It's breaking in upon us. Get ready. And the Bible says in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verse 15, says, All the people were filled with anticipation. All of a sudden, Matt, there was a trembling in the land. All of a sudden, people began to perk up their ears. They began to wonder, what in the world is going on here? And John began to draw a crowd. And people began to get lined up because his message was a call to repent. Repent. you got to get lined up. you got to get ready. you got to turn away from anything that is out of harmony with this message. You've got to align yourself with the kingdom because the king is about to arrive. That's what happened from the days of John the Baptist. But then all of a sudden, somebody else arrived on the scene, and that was Jesus. That's why he said, from the days of John the Baptist until now. He wasn't drawing a line of demarcation saying it lasted up until this point. He was telling them what was going on with him. And if the kingdom started to come with John, it exploded when Jesus showed up. And you notice his message in Matthew 4 verse 17 says from that time, Jesus began to preach this message, repent For the kingdom of heaven is near. It's exactly the same message. The same thing that John had been preaching. Jesus just picked it right up and continued on with it. The difference was Jesus didn't just have a message. His proclamation was combined with demonstration. Look on down in Matthew 4 verses 23 to 24 says, Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news, the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and sickness among the people. So a report about him spread throughout Syria, and people brought to him all who suffered with various illnesses and afflictions, those who had seizures, paralytics, and those possessed by demons, and he healed them. Now, why is that important for us to know that? Because anybody can say what they want to. It's easy to step forward and say the kingdom of God is at hand. But if nothing ever changes, you would never know for certain. And so what Jesus was doing was he was providing them with physical evidence that showed them that what he was saying was an actual reality. The king has come and everything is changing. Nothing is safe anymore. And all of a sudden, all the things that Isaiah 35 talked about, the dumb beginning to sing, the deaf beginning to hear, the blind beginning to see, was all of a sudden happening right in the middle of everything. And Jesus made this commentary about it in Matthew 12 and verse 28. He says, but if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has already overtaken you. What you are seeing here is God exercising his sovereignty in active dominion. He is actively dominating over sickness and disease. He is actively dominating over demons and nothing Could stand before him. The kingdom of God has no rival. And it has no equal. It has no peer. 
God's authority is absolute to the uttermost. And there is nothing that can ever successfully challenge it. That's good news. That's good news. So from the days of John the Baptist until the ministry of Jesus, the kingdom of heaven was preached. But Jesus said that the kingdom suffered violence. Why would he say that? Well, it's because the kingdom goes cross-grained with all the religious and social norms of the day. God will not be put in anybody's box. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but the minute you think you got God figured out and can contain Him, He will jump out of your box every single time. And He certainly did. I mean, Jesus did crazy stuff like healing people on the Sabbath. I mean, how dare He? Right? He touched unclean people and made them clean. How dare He? Right? And he just freaked out all the religious leaders. They were not happy. And I mean, when they start talking about assassinating you because you're not playing by the rules, that's violence. That's violence. Herod got so mad at John the Baptist, he put him in jail. The kingdom of heaven suffered violence. The kingdom goes cross-grained with all the political conventions. Why do you think it is? When the wise men showed up and asked, asked the first Herod, where is he that's born king of the Jews? The dude got so scared that he ended up killing all the children two years old and under in and around Bethlehem. You know why? Because if the king of the Jews has shown up, that can only mean one thing. Herod, your kingdom is toast. Your kingdom has got a shelf life and it's about to reach its expiry date. So he was trying to prevent that as if he ever could, right? That's why God sent angels to circumvent that whole thing. So the kingdom of heaven will always suffer violence because there is an enemy that will always oppose it. Unsuccessfully, but there will always be opposition. Which tells us that the minute we involve ourselves in the kingdom, we automatically put a target on our back. The only good news in the middle of that is there's somebody who's got our back in the middle of it all. So we don't have to worry about that, right? But here's the other thing. The kingdom of heaven not only goes cross-grained with everything else, the kingdom of heaven also opens the doorway to a greater reality. The king has come. God is visiting And there were people that recognized the uniqueness of what was going on in their day. And they were absolutely determined that they were going to experience this for themselves. And so they too threw away all the conventions of the day in order to press into the king and experience the kingdom. So let's look at a couple of these forceful people. Now, to do that, we're going to go to Mark's gospel. And the reason we're doing that is because Matthew had a tendency to abbreviate some of his stories. So we're going to go to Mark because Mark kind of gives us a little broader picture. And that's very important. So first of all, we want to go to Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 42. Familiar stories. This isn't going to be anything strange to you. Mark writes, he says, Now a leper came to him, fell to his knees asking for help. 
If you are willing, you can make me clean, he said. Moved with indignation. Your Bible might say compassion. Moved with indignation, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing, be clean. The leprosy left him at once and he was clean. Do you know this was not supposed to happen? This was illegal. Leviticus chapter 13 verses 45 and 46 makes it very clear that anybody with a chronic skin disease was supposed to stay completely away from everybody else. They were to walk around with their clothes torn, their hair all a mess, covering their face, hollering out, unclean, unclean. In other words, stay back. There was no license there for anybody running up to anybody falling down in front of them. You can almost hear the gasp of all of those around Jesus as this dude finally came running out of the bushes and falls at the feet of the king. What in the world would possess him to do that? Listen to what the brother said. He falls down in front of Jesus And he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Hear that. If you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing, he recognized that this man had the authority to decide his fate. You only say that to somebody that you know can make a decision in your favor. In that one simple statement, we read over these things so often and we miss the greater impact of them. In that one simple statement, he was recognizing that he was kneeling in the presence of the king. But not only did he recognize the authority of Jesus, he recognized the power of Jesus as well. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Not only do you have the authority, you've got the power. You can make me clean. You can totally reverse my situation and change it for the better. And here my Bible says, moved with indignation. Your Bible might say moved with compassion. This particular word can be rendered either way and it still come out right. Because many times compassion will manifest itself in indignation because compassion hates oppression. And so moved with indignation, the king speaks and says, I am willing and stretches out his hand and does something illegal in the fact that he touches this unclean leper. And isn't it interesting? If an unclean person touched a clean person, that person also became unclean. But when the only clean person in the crowd touches you, you become clean as well. And that's exactly what happened here. Jesus reached out and touched him. The power of God went through that man and he was clean. What happened here? This man recognized that the only person, the only hope he had was this man, Jesus. 
And he threw all social convention, all religious convention to the wind, burst out of the sides, came kneeling down in front of him because he was going to press into the king. And having done so, he tasted of the kingdom. Let's look at another story over in Mark chapter 5. Again, familiar story. Mark 5 verses 21 to 24. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him and he was by the sea. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came up and when he saw Jesus fell at his feet, he asked him urgently, my little daughter is near death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. And Jesus went with him and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. Now, you know, I mean, we, we read this and we're familiar with that, right? Jairus, dad, you know, coming concerned from his little girl. Don't miss the fact that this was a leader of the synagogue. Now, he was not a religious leader, okay? He wasn't a Pharisee or a Sadducee or anybody like that. All he was responsible for was making sure that the synagogue met at its regular times, made sure that the synagogue service flowed in accordance with the way it was. There were several of these leaders. He was just one of those, okay? But still, that meant he was a prominent citizen in the city of Capernaum, all right? He was somebody that everybody knew. And in those days, you know, Jesus was wonderful, but everybody also knew that the religious lead of the day kind of frowned upon him. And so if you were aligning yourself with him, you were automatically suspect. And yet here Jesus comes out of the boat. They'd just been on the other side of the lake where they dealt with that demoniac guy over there. And here Jesus comes out, steps out onto the shore, and this guy bursts through the crowd Prominent leader, outstanding citizen, falls down at his feet and goes to begging. My daughter is dying. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she can be healed and she can live. Do you realize that by falling at his feet, you did not do that in Jewish culture, except in extreme cases. By falling at his feet, it was both a gesture of humility, but also extreme desperation. In that moment, Jairus was recognizing that I have no other solutions here, but I've got you and I am not leaving until you come with me. And Jesus never says a word. He just starts off to the brother's house. And of course, we know how the story ends. Um, as they're going there, all of a sudden word comes, Jairus. Man, I am so sorry. Your daughter just just expired. Don't don't bother Jesus anymore. And I love it because if you read it in the in the original language here, Ray, it literally says that Jesus heard but ignored what was said. Because physical things are not what determines Jesus' reality. He moves in harmony with heaven. Her dying had nothing to do with anything he was about to do. This man started to believe. That's why he said, Jairus, don't fear. Just believe. Now, Jairus is confused. He has no clue what that's going to mean. But they walk into that house. Everybody's there. All this hoopla. They hired professional mourners back in those days. How would you like that job? And uh, they were all there making all their hoopla. And Jesus rushes the whole bunch of them out. He goes, she's not dead. She's just asleep. And he walks over, takes her by the hand, says, darling, it's time to get up. And she does. Because the king 
ruled in favor of Jairus and eradicated death. So here's this dad who's got no other options. There was nothing else for him to do. But he was determined that this man was going to come to his house because he was the only hope that he had. And look how it turned out. But of course we know there was another story that played itself out in the middle of all of that. Right? Back to Mark chapter 5, verses 25 to 29. Now, a woman was there who had suffered from a hemorrhage for 12 years. She had endured a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better... Sorry, I I thought I heard the Spirit say something and I didn't want to miss it. There's somebody here that you're convinced your condition is never going to get any better. i got news for you. There's somebody in the house that changes everything. So I don't know who that's speaking to, but if that's speaking to you, grab hold of that. Grab hold of that. Instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she kept saying, if I only touch his clothes, I will be healed. At once the bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Do you realize this was not supposed to happen either? This was not supposed to happen. Leviticus 13 verses 20, verse 25 makes it very clear that if you have a bodily discharge, you are unclean and you are not to be out in public because anything you touch, any body you touch automatically becomes unclean. But this woman was desperate. She'd spent everything that she had. For all we know, Helga, she might have been rich when this started. And she'd spent everything that she had to get better. And instead of getting better, she'd grown worse. And somehow she heard about Jesus. Now again, this was in the city of Capernaum. She may have heard those stories about that healing meeting outside Pete's house when all the town brought everything that they could find to the house and Jesus spent the rest of the night healing them. She might have heard that story about how Jesus was in the house and all of a sudden guys started tearing up the roof and lowering their friend down. Can you imagine if that happened here? I would lose your attention completely. It's okay, you'd lose mine too. But all of a sudden, that guy came down through the roof and walked out in the middle of everybody. We don't know what she heard, but she heard enough to know that if there was any hope for her, it wasn't going to be found in the method she'd been trying up until that point. There was only one hope left, and that was this guy. But he was in the middle of a crowd. But she said, you know what? 
I don't even have to bother him. If I can just get up close enough to just reach out and just tweak the hem of his garment, that ought to be enough. So, you know, I can just picture how this must have looked as this gal wraps her shawl around her, you know, so maybe people won't know who she is. And here she goes, moving her way through that crowd. You know, excuse me, excuse me, pardon me, coming through here. You know, and she works her way. And all of a sudden, right there it is, the hem of that garment. And she reaches out and tweaks it. And in that moment, she knows. In that moment, she knows everything has changed. Her long night of the soul is over with. And as she is kneeling there, glowing, in that moment of utter revelation, as the kingdom of God floods through her being, all of a sudden, to her horror, she recognizes the whole crowd has stopped. And the crowd now parts and Jesus is looking at her who is trying to get through this without being noticed. You can't ever escape notice. And so now she's got to come and confess everything. Here's Jairus, the synagogue leader is standing right there. She recognizes she could be in all kinds of trouble. But Jairus isn't concerned about her. And all this story comes stumbling out. And I can see Jesus as he smiles down at her. Probably kneels down to where he can look her right in the eye and say, Daughter, your faith has made you old. Go and enjoy your life. And she does. She was absolutely determined she was going to get through to the king. And when she pressed into the king, she experienced the kingdom. One more. This will go back to the book of Matthew, chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. I find this story absolutely hilarious. <laughs> Matthew 15, 21 to 28 says, After going out from there, Jesus went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, just a little lesson here. Tyre and Sidon was up north of Galilee because the climate was starting to get a little bit politically and religiously hot down in Galilee. So <laughs> Jesus decides it's time to leave town for a while. And so he's going up north into the, the, to the Gentile regions where he's going. It says, And a Canaanite woman from that area came and cried out, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is horribly demon-possessed. But he didn't answer her word. And then his disciples came and begged him, Send her away. She keeps crying out after us. So he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and bowed down before him and said, Lord, help me. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, he said. Yes, Lord, she replied. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, woman, <laughs> Your faith is great. Let what you want be done for you. And her daughter was healed from that hour. Now, if you think that Jesus is being rude here, I want you to think again. Jesus was here under assignment. And his assignment was specifically to the house of Israel during this time. The door of the kingdom had not yet opened to the Gentiles. That was for a future day. That was going to happen, but not until after his resurrection. All right? So he was not being rude. 
He was just following along with the divine mandate to reach out to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But here's this Canaanite woman clear up north of Galilee. And she hears that Jesus is present. But she knows more than most of the Jewish people know. Because when she comes to him, notice what she says. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. That's messianic terms. How in the world did this Gentile woman know that? We have no clue, but she knew who Jesus was. This was the king. This was the son of David who is going to reign over the house of Israel forever. This was the one who was going to change everything. And her daughter had a demon. And if there was any help, there was going to be in this guy. And he wasn't helping. And she wasn't having it. She starts crying out after him and he doesn't answer her. Doesn't even turn around and look. Of course, the disciples, you know, get annoyed. I can almost see Pete going, will you do something about this woman? She's driving the rest of us nuts. And finally he says, you know, it's not right for me to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, again, that sounds horribly rude. But you have to understand, that's the way Jews looked at Gentiles in those days. They were dogs. And believe me, in that day, dogs did not carry the prominence that they do today. Just so you know. Okay? Otherwise, we might think he's being rude to Fifi. Well, he wasn't being rude to Fifi. This was just the culture of the day, right? And look at this woman. She ain't taking it. She ain't taking it. She knows. That the only hope that she's got for her kid is in this man. They knew what demons were about in those days. And they didn't have any way, real good way of dealing with it. And so she is not leaving there until she gets what she's after. And when he makes that statement, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. I can see the steel in her eyes as she lifts her eyes and lifts her voice and looks at him and says... You're right, but even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And in that moment, she goes, I know what you're saying is true, but I'm convinced there's enough for me. And can't you see the smile spread across Jesus? It's a wonder he kept from laughing, but can't you see the smile spread across Jesus' face as he looks down at her and says, woman, you are a piece of work. Your faith is great. And then listen to what he says. He says, let it be, let what you want be done for you. Do you recognize that's king language? The king issues a decree on her behalf and she gets home and the demon's gone. She pressed through. She pressed beyond what was right for the day. Do you realize that she by faith reached beyond the present into the future and pulled the future into the present? She experienced something that wasn't hers to experience, but she pressed her way into the king and experienced the kingdom. Now, what's the message in all of this for us? 
You have to understand that when you look at these stories, and there's other stories that we could look at, there is one common denominator among them all, and that common denominator is desperation. These people were absolutely desperate. There was no other answer for their situation. And desperation by definition is a state of hopelessness leading to extreme recklessness. Isn't that interesting? A state of hopelessness leading to extreme recklessness. It was downright reckless for that leper to come running out of the bushes and fall down in front of Jesus. He could have gotten rocks thrown at him. It was downright reckless to his reputation for Jairus to come and act like that in public in front of Jesus. He didn't care. It was reckless of that woman to wrap her shawl around herself and snake her way through that crowd. She could have gotten in all kinds of trouble. And it was totally reckless. You got to understand, women in this culture did not chase after men like that. That just was forbidden. You didn't do that. She didn't care. She knew what she was after and she was going to get it regardless. So my question this morning is how desperate are we to press into the king and experience his kingdom in our lives? Well, you know, I really should go for some prayer, but you know, I probably have to wait there 20 minutes. And Smitty's is going to fill up here right away. Maybe next Sunday. Well, bless your sweet petunias. Real desperate. As long as it remains an option, don't wonder why you don't experience it. When it's no longer an option, why do you think it is? I've just been reading a book by Randy Clark. It's full of testimonies of people who've been healed. You know where most of the healings have taken place? One guess, it's not North America. In places like China, places like Brazil, lots of Brazil, Argentina, where they don't have all the amenities that we North Americans have. Those people don't have any other choice. They've got to have the king move on their behalf. They come. They're absolutely desperate. They will walk for days through the wind, through the rain, through the storm, through the sun. Doesn't matter. They will walk for hours and stand to get into a stadium so that they can get in the presence of the man of God who's bringing the kingdom of God into their situation. And we won't wait 15 minutes. Something wrong with that picture. Their desperation, however, was not just desperation on its own. Their desperation was driven by faith. Faith is the absolute conviction that something is true despite all contradictory evidence. The people that we discussed were absolutely convinced that Jesus was the total solution to their total problem. If they wouldn't have had that conviction in their heart, they would have never done what they did. That's why Jesus would say, your faith has made you whole. There is no power in faith by itself. But your faith is what brings you to Jesus. And in Jesus, there is no limit to the power. So my question to us this morning is, how convinced are we?
Oh, we sing and dance about it all the time. But do we believe? Do we believe? Are we convinced enough to forget what anybody else thinks and to receive what God wants us to impart? Folks, the fact is, we need to do some violence to some stuff that has held us back from the kingdom, like our religion. Now, you know, when I talk about religion, I'm talking about the ideas that we come up with about God that has nothing to do with the truth. Oh, well, you know, I'm not sure the Lord wants to be bothered with something like this. That's religion. That's religion. Oh, well, you know, God might do that for some people, but he won't do it for me. That's religion. We need to do violence to that kind of stuff. We need to get that off of us and get that out of the way. Because if God will do it for me, if God will do it for these folks, God will do it for you too. The other thing we need to do violence against is our traditions. Now the difference between religion and traditions, they're often tied together with a short rope. But our traditions is how we think things ought to be done. Well, you know, they didn't do that in our church. Honey, we're not in your church, so get over it. Okay, we're in Calvary Church here, where just like the pastor said this morning, we're throwing off all the limits and we're saying, come Holy Spirit, and we don't care what it looks like. So get over yourself and throw that kind of stuff off. Well, you know, it might be fine for going for prayer, but I don't want to do that vibrating thing. Honey, who cares if you vibrate, if you fall down, if you spit, sputter, cry, whatever it is. We've got Kleenex here. We can clean up after you. It doesn't matter as long as the king gets his way. God, help us. But I'll tell you the greatest violence that we need to do, besides to these things, is to our passivity. We're just so passive. We Canadians are just too nice. I'm not even Canadian. I'm American, in case you haven't noticed. But I've been fully Canadianized. <laughs> we're just so nice. We say, you're so, we say, I'm sorry about everything, right? And we're just so passive. Oh, well, you know, I mean, if the Lord wants to touch me, I don't have to go forward. He can touch me in my seat. Can you imagine what that would have been if that leper would have thought like that? Oh, well, you know, I mean, it's not socially appropriate for me to break through the bushes and go kneel down in front of Jesus. So if he wants to touch me, he can just do it while I'm in the leper's camp. The dude would have rotted right there. Or what about that woman with the issue of blood? Oh, well, you know, that's great. I'm glad Jesus does that for everybody else. But, you know, if if God wants to touch me, he'll send him by my house. How long would she have had to sit there and wait for that? She'd probably still be sitting there. Passivity. These folks didn't know anything about passivity. Desperation trumps passivity every time. And I'll tell you what, we need to have that spirit within us where I'm going forward for prayer. I don't care if it takes 25 minutes for one of the elders to pray for me. I don't care if I have to be catcher to all these people falling out under the power until it's my turn. I'm going to stay right here until I get some prayer. That's the kind of violent faith that experiences the kingdom. Let's have the band come on up and get ready to worship. As I say these closing things, you know the kingdom of God created quite a stir when it showed up. 
It invited opposition because it ran cross-grain with the conventions of the day. It also opened the door to a greater reality, the fact that God was exercising His dominion in the present time and space. Some people recognized this and laid hold of the kingdom by pressing into the king. And in our needy world, so devoid of hope and staggering under the weight of demonic oppression, the only hope is the king and his kingdom. That is why we need to do violence to all within ourselves that would stand in opposition to the kingdom and start laying hold of it for ourselves. Then we will be better equipped to open the doors for others to experience it as well. Let me tell you something. Some of you have done some really great shouting here this morning. I hope you do equally great running as we open the altars for prayer. I don't care what your condition is. We cited a few things here this morning. That's wonderful. God certainly wants to touch those. But God wants to touch you wherever you are with whatever you are dealing with. So don't hold back. Throw off your religion. Throw off your tradition. Get out of that passivity and come for prayer. I'll be over here. There'll be some others that will be around. There'll be some over here. If you can't stand, we got chairs that you can sit. Matt will move <laughs> if you need a chair to sit in. But there are people here who want to pray for you. All right? So as we worship, don't wait. Just come. All right? Thank you.